The title of today's sermon is Emmaus on the Emmaus Road, Open Eyes and Burning Hearts. The subtitle would be, Wake Up, It's Easter. I was uh, working yesterday and this alert came up on my desktop on the computer. It says Easter Sunday tomorrow. So I could close that out or hit snooze. And so I thought, that encapsulates everything I want to talk about today. Not hitting snooze on Easter. That's the sub-subtitle of today. So thank you for not hitting snooze this morning. Thank you for being here on this beautiful, beautiful Easter Sunday. Yes, after a week of rain, yes. Man, it's not very exciting. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh... The big idea of the sermon today is to wake up to the reality of Easter every morning, not just when it is 74 and sunny. It wasn't 74 and sunny this morning, but it's going to get there. Not just today, that to live as Jesus followers is to be mindful, both at a, a cosmic level and at a street every day to day to week to lifetime of your life. Uh, the ramifications of an empty grave. So that's where we're going today. Not just Easter Sunday, but what does it mean for Easter Monday, Easter Tuesday? Let me ask you this question before we get started. Uh, this isn't rhetorical. I'd, I'd love to hear some answers. Um, how did your parents, when you were growing up, how did your parents wake you up? What's that? They called your name. Okay. All right. Some, some other ways that your parents woke you up. What's that? They opened the door and let the dog in. That's awesome. What? Water? <laughs> okay. We do provide some counseling uh, if, if you need that. Any other, any other creative ways your parents woke you up in the morning? <laughs> Lucy, you're a sound sleeper. So when, when I was in high school, there was a, a Christian singer named Keith Green, and he had a song called A Sleep in the Light. And uh, one of my friend's dad would play a line from that song on, you know, this is a long time ago, so we had these big jam boxes, right? He would put that jam box right next to my friend's ear and hit play on the cassette tape. What's a cassette tape? And, uh, <laughs> and blaring this lyric, Jesus rose from the dead, and you, you can't even get out of bed. That was... <laughs> Every morning, that was what he heard, you know. My dad was a little less, uh, a little more grace-giving, a little <laughs> less in your face. And so he would actually, on, on most mornings, he would quote a verse from, from Scripture. And the verse was this, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and finish it. Anybody? Christ is going to shine on you. That's a cool way to wake up. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ is going to shine on you. 
And then he poured water on me. (laughs) (laughs) That verse actually is from Ephesians. And Paul in Ephesians, especially in chapter 2, he's contrasting the way of the world. He's contrasting uh, the way that, the, that most of the world lives in spiritual darkness and deadness of sexual sin and greed and drunkenness and evil. Uh, he's contrasting that with the way of people of the light, of Easter people. He's saying that living in the frame of mind and the frame of heart as the world around you is like being asleep. In fact, sleep is a metaphor for death. But Easter people have been brought from death to life, right? So he quotes this Old Testament verse. He says, the light makes everything visible. That's why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So Easter is your wake-up call. He is imploring the church, and he's imploring us to wake up, to come alive to the reality that through the resurrection of Christ, God's new world, his new creation has been unveiled. He's inviting you. He's inviting me, he's inviting the world to belong, to be, as our baptism demonstrates, brought from being spiritually dead to life in Christ. But the ramifications of that aren't just eternal life. It's not just about when you die. It's about your now life. How will you live? My dad died a couple of years ago, almost three years ago, and... uh, he had been sick for a few months, and so we'd been just really daily just hanging out with him. And a couple, three days before he died, he, he, he kind of just, he, he couldn't really say anything anymore. So we would just kind of be with him. But, but before he died, he said one word. He said, wow. Isn't that cool? This man who, for 88 years, walked with Jesus. His transition from this life to life eternal was a big wow. Paul said that is exactly what frames not just your eternal future, but your present now. It was a wow. The wow of an empty grave. It's what brings presence and power and freedom and love of the risen Savior to the world. So the sun is shining, and it's a beautiful Sunday, Easter morning, filled with the hope and glory of God. So wake up. So that's the essence of the sermon today. But since we're here. Let's um, look at this passage of scripture that we've been in for six weeks. Um, we, we chose this series on the road to, on the Emmaus Road. It's out of Luke chapter 24. And so if you want to turn there in your Bible, you can follow along. I want to catch you up just a bit um, about what's been going on in this story 
uh, the previous three or four days, okay? So Thursday night, here's what we see. Jesus, as I mentioned, is gathered with his disciples, and he washes their feet, and he has a Passover meal with them. It's a feast that pointed toward himself as God's rescue plan for humanity, And then in the garden, there's the betrayal by Judas, and there's the arrest and the trial and the denial by Peter as the sun rises. And then Friday, there's the the trial of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and Jesus is beaten, and Pontius Pilate calls for his death sentence for crucifixion. So Jesus carries his cross to Golgotha, this garbage heap outside of Jerusalem, and Jesus is crucified. The weight of humanity's sin and brokenness and death on his back. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. And Saturday, his followers are are in hiding. They're scared. They're confused. They thought they'd been following the Messiah, and now the Messiah is dead and buried. There was a lot of fear. Sunday morning, the women go to the tomb, and they find that the tomb is empty. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And then this in Luke 24. The same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that it happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. But one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it's the third day since it took place and some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body and they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven. And those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's zero in on three verses. 
verse 30, Luke 24. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their eyes were open. Their hearts were burning. We've talked these past few weeks that Jesus really walks them through this process. It's a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus invites them to share what is going on in their hearts and to get in touch with their own desires that seem to have been disrupted. They thought he was the one. They had this picture of Messiah. They had this picture of the Savior who would rescue them from the Romans and set up his earthly kingdom. And Jesus didn't quite fit. That picture. Jesus says, your minds and your hearts have been closed. Because you're trying to, what we talked about last week, interpret your lives through your own lens instead of the truth of Scripture. He points every page throughout the Old Testament. Everything pointed to him. It was there all along. In the midst of explaining, in the midst of teaching, in the midst of connecting the dots, their eyes were open around the table and they saw Jesus for who he was. It was moving from fear and despondency to faith and love. It was a movement of seeing toward this passionate hope in Jesus. I uh, was thinking about this other passage today. I was just hanging out in Ephesians this week. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bible um, or on your phone, Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, but... um, This dovetails with the whole idea of waking up, having our eyes opened to the reality of Jesus today. This is is the prayer just prayed over the church. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart, the heart, the heart represented the entire self, your, your core commitments, your deepest loves, your foundational hopes, your emotions, your being, your thoughts, your behavior. Tim Keller wrote, to have the eyes of the heart enlightened means to have the gospel penetrate and grip us so deeply that it changes the whole person. I pray that you will know, Paul says, the hope to which he has called you. I pray that you would wake up to the hope to which God has called you in Christ. 
resurrection of Jesus is the epicenter of Christianity. It's impossible to be a Christian unless you believe in the resurrection, Paul says in Romans 10. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That makes absolutely no sense unless Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are of all people to be most pitied. I mean, we've been duped. Jesus said in John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The ultimate fear of humankind is death. Easter strips the fear away from it. Our hope isn't wishful thinking. It is secure in Jesus. Our whole verse, our theme verse for the year is out of 1 Peter, that God, through Christ, has given us a new birth into a living hope. So our, our hope isn't based on something that may happen someday, you know, like I may graduate or I might get a job or might get married or might win the lottery. That's all, you know. It's based on something that has already happened. So our whole framework of reality, our, our confidence to live each day is based on something that already has happened. God didn't stay dead. And because of that, he brings hope. He brings joy. Paul says, so you will know that hope. Also, that you will know the riches of his glorious inheritance. The promise that death isn't the end of the story. Earlier, uh, Paul says um, in Ephesians 1 that you are adopted. You are adopted. I've, I've talked about our, our youngest son before. He's 17 now, but we got to adopt him. Bring him into our house when he was 10 months old, and then we got to adopt him at age three. And to do that, we went to the courthouse and to the judge's chamber, and the judge says, I love this. I get to, you know, I have to do a lot of really, really hard things, but this is, this is life-giving, literally. The judge said, today, your little boy will get a new, new name. Now he's a shrump. is weird, but there he is. Get a new birth certificate. Gets a new social security number. He gets a new family. He also gets a new inheritance. So the $38 that we have in savings gets split equally among our three child, including our adopted child. Paul says, you have been given this hope. You've been given this eternal inheritance that will not fade or spoil. And he says, Paul prays that we would know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says, is in you. That's one of those mic drop statements. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you if you are in Christ. Just let that simmer a bit. 
Plant that seed deep in your soul so that as it grows, it completely consumes you from the inside out. That the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you when you are in Christ. And so when you wake up in the morning and say, I feel so powerless to do anything. And as you read the news and feel, I am so powerless to do anything. And as you struggle with this ongoing sin and struggle of brokenness, and you feel so powerless, you need to be reminded that when you are in Christ, the resurrection power of Christ is in you. Animating every fiber of your being. Because Jesus has already overwhelmed anything that could possibly overwhelm you. His incomparably great power, his inheritance, his hope. Can we see it? One writer said, every moment of every day, the most significant reality in the entire universe is the radical availability of God's presence. Yet in almost every moment of every day, we remain unaware of this generous gift because we are busy. We are preoccupied, we are self-absorbed, or we are in despair, or we are duped by our own insecurity, or just feeling the weight of our own guilt, or our anger, or pain, or loneliness, or busyness. Jesus says this to you and to me in Matthew 11, are you tired? Are you tired? You can say yes. Are you worn out? Okay, good, good. He says, are you burned out on religion? He says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, I love this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When my eyes are fixed on Jesus, then my eyes cannot be fixed on me. I become more aware of his power and presence in our lives. And so we wake up, not just to what God is doing on the pages of Scripture, as important as they are, but we wake up to what God is doing in our classes and jobs and research and conversations. And we're not building compartments with our lives, but we're opening everything up to his lordship. Last week, Rick said, their opened eyes was, were, were not their own accomplishments. Their, their open eyes, that, that wasn't their own doing. That Jesus opened their eyes. He said, walking with Jesus comes down to Jesus walking with us. Charles Spurgeon, this uh, 19th century preacher in England, he says, if Jesus Christ be God with us, 
Let us come to God without any question or hesitancy. Whoever you may be, you need no priest or intercessor to introduce you to God, for God has introduced you, introduced himself to you. God has introduced himself to you. They said, were not our hearts burning within us as we walked on the road? We're not our hearts burning within us as we explain just our desperate situation and as he opened scripture to us and as we brought him into our home and as he broke bread. We're not our hearts burning within us. We sensed that he was, something was going on. We just couldn't put our finger on it, you know? And let me ask you this. Those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a while Can you think about your own heart burning? (laughs) Can you think about the times when, even prior to knowing who Jesus is and was, and you sensed that he was pursuing you? You sensed that there has got to be more to life than just what I was told. Were not, was not your heart burning even before you recognized it? And for those of you who have not yet said yes to Jesus, that's my prayer today that there would just be something that is sparked in you that would propel you into his arms. Their eyes were open. Their hearts were burning. There's a passage in the Old Testament that says this. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is like a, like a, a fire in my heart a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I, I cannot. 2 Corinthians 5 says it's Christ's love that compels us. That's our motivation. That's the fire in our hearts is the reality of a living Savior. Open eyes, burning hearts. And the third thing is feet that are running. <laughs> they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 assembled, and they said, it's true, the Lord has risen. And as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them, and he said, peace be to you. They ran seven miles back because they had good news to share. Second Corinthians 5, Christ's love compels us. One died, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. It's the power of God at work for salvation. 
Ephesians 5 says, imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Matthew 6 says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And finally, Isaiah 52 says, wake up. Wake up, Zion. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that God of Israel reigns. To wake up to the reality of an empty tomb changes everything about our lives. And that is the invitation today. Um, we're going to do uh, just a couple of things before we leave today. One is um, uh, Samara Norris, who is on one of our worship, in one of our worship bands, did a spoken word piece. And uh, I, I asked her, would, would you just kind of take this whole last six weeks and put on paper what God's been doing in you? Let's watch this together. How is it that in a culture of being completely plugged in all the time, we still feel alone? It's like you'd think the social media empires we've built would fulfill all of our desires, but they don't. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever felt more unknown. We live in a world that aches to be accepted, that aches to feel some kind of importance. We sacrifice some of the most precious moments in our lives for other people's endorsements, leaving valuable things left to rest dormant. Wake up. What is the desire of your heart? What is the heart of your desire? Wake up. We spend far too much of our time questioning whether or not our desires align with everyone else's. But the ironic part is our hearts are all burning for something different. That's one of those things that gives our lives this wild significance, knowing that our passions can make a lasting difference. But a lot of us seem to hold back though as if we are unqualified. So we set a lot of our ideas, desires, and longings aside. But here's what we're missing. Those desires in our hearts aren't there by mistake. Their love letters from Christ, their invitations to life. We seem to be caught in this trap of chasing a certain image, believing maybe then our lives will have some kind of meaning. But it's a lie, a lie that's incredibly deceiving. Because ever since the day your life began, God gave you a unique purpose, spoke over you, declaring your life worth it, instilled in you desires and aspirations deep within your spirit. Not only do they move you, but they touch every life you encounter. They echo of his radical love, his beauty, and his power. And the wild thing is, regardless of your mistakes and faults, he adores you. You are the one he wants. He considers your heart every second of every hour. He meets you in that place, daily deeming you worthy and deserving of his forgiveness and grace. And I think for the longest time, I just believed I had to meet these religious requirements to be some kind of good Christian. I had lost sight of his vision, misunderstood his mission. I was afraid of my faults. I was terrified of my shortcomings. I wore myself out trying to just feel something. I didn't recognize he was actually with me, listening during those moments. He loved me at my worst, loved me with my broken. 
it became less of me knowing of Jesus and more of me coming to just know Him. And it became more of me learning to accept His grace and less of me counting my sins. Because long before I'd been born, by Christ's obedience, I'd been deemed forgiven. His whispers of invitation are engraved in our existence. And through Christ, our stories and lives can make an incredible difference. So many of us are wrestling with an emptiness in our souls, trying to use things of this world to attempt to fill these God-sized holes. So pursue the desires the Lord instilled in you without a second thought about chasing the things he's called you to. He calls us to push forward without hesitancy or fear of the future. We are his vessels. We are called to be friends, trailblazers, and movers. There's a journey it's time for us to take up, one in which he wants to walk with us. Wake up.